Hello and welcome. You're listening to This Is Some Scene. I am James Ippoliti, and I am also the host of the Real Demons of Pop Culture podcast and many more podcasts soon to come. This Is Some Scene was a podcast I produced back in the mid-2000s to about 2009. Season one of This Is Some Scene is going to be those lost interviews. Interviews with people like Tommy Wiseau, Joe Dante, Amber Benson, Crispin Glover, so many more at the dawn of podcasting. I had a group of people that had a lot of fun doing these podcasts. Now, the quality is not as great as it could be because it was at the beginning of podcasting where it was very hard. It also was recorded live. Most of the calls were live, as you will see. And so the quality is not to the standards of 2023, but they are pretty good for 2008, 2009, etc. You may hear the voices of Andrea. You may hear the voices of Eric Feasterville, also known as Chris Blake Sasser. So grab your favorite beverage, sit back, and enjoy these interviews from the beginning of the podcasting universe. In season two, we will be introducing new interviews to continue the legacy of This Is Some Scene. 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 (laughs) Hi, this is Keith David, and you're listening to This is Some Scene. The great Keith David. Gotta love that guy. All right, live from Grilledelvia, this is Some Scene. It's Monday, February 16, 2009. I am your host, R. James, and I am joined by Andrea. Hello. And Eric Feasterville. The one and only. The one and only Eric Feasterville. That is a classic. At the half hour mark, our special guest will be the actress, and she's also a director and author, Amber Benson, known for her role as Tara in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, she will be talking about her career as well as her new novel, Death's Daughter, which will be released this month, February 24th. Hello, is this Amber? Uh, this is me, yeah. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. This is really cool. I was enjoying listening to you chatting up there. Oh, yeah, we were uh, doing our little bizarre news series we do each week and uh, just talking about the craziest things that happen in the world each week. So, it's a lot <laughs> of fun. Good times. <laughs> So uh, did you have a good Valentine's Day? I did. I did. I, I spent it with a bunch of Doctor Who fans. Really? Are the new Doctor Who or, or all-encompassing Doctor Who fans? Because I'm not a fan of the old one. I love the new one, though. All-encompassing. I was at a Doctor Who convention all day uh, Saturday. Wow. So how many guys <laughs> had, like, these really, really long scarves that they were very proud of? Uh, there were a few scarves around. Uh, mostly there were uh, guys in Dalek T-shirts, specifically <laughs> – Amazing shirt I've ever seen, which is a Dalek with iPod and uh, iPod earphones. Wow. That's, I, th- I think I've seen that one online. That's pretty awesome. Well, that's good. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> this is, this so, is how I spend Valentine's Day, yes, having fun with Daleks. <laughs> well, let me start off with, with just a couple Buffy questions because I've I got to get my inner Buffy geek uh, satisfied. I have to quell that guy. Um, okay. So 
Let me ask you now: Do you miss Buffy? I do. I it was like being part of the family. We we spent well, I spent three years with them, and they were on the show for seven years. All the other cast, so it was like mm-hmm. being part of this this amazing little family. So I miss that. Now, if for some reason they brought Buffy back to either the television screen or the big screen, and you know they decided because in the Buffy verse they could bring you back somehow, even though you did die organically or whatever they want to call it. Would you want to be a part of that, or do you think Tara should stay dead? Uh, you know, it really is about scheduling and about kind of the vision of, of how she would come back. Those are the two main really? things. I, I would love to work with everybody again. I mean, Joss is, is a genius, so it's hard to it's hard to say no to him. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Well, but I actually have a question about that. Um, now, this is a question about fans. Now, is it public knowledge who you're dating? Uh, pretty much. I mean, we seem to frighten people wherever we go, so... <laughs> Right, people, so. people get a little upset. They're like, but he killed you. You can't right. kiss him. <laughs> I was going to ask that. So, so you got Adam uh, Bush, and then he's Warren and, and Buffy, and he kills you. I mean, do you, do you have any fans? And you're saying that he killed you, and you're gay. Like, do, do fans <laughs> have a hard time? <laughs> do they have a hard time separating Tara from Amber? And do you have what's the craziest like? fan experience you've had? Well, I, not everybody uh, uh, has a hard time with it. They're just a few, but the ones that do take it very hard. Um, uh, the weirdest thing I've ever had happen probably is uh, I was at Comic-Con, oh, God, probably four or five years ago, and this beautiful girl came up to, to where I was signing, and she got down on her knee and uh, produced a ring from her back pocket and said, I, I'm asking for your hand in marriage. And I was sorely tempted because the ring was very nice. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but as I said to her, uh, when, I, when I decide to uh, play for the other team, I will definitely be giving you a call. <laughs> um, yeah, <there's>... I, I <laughs> That's probably Go the strangest. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was doing some research before the show, and on Internet Movie Database, there's like a whole – I don't know how you feel about stuff like that, but there's a whole debate on your sexuality and and um, people wondering if you're gay, if you're not gay. I mean, uh, just because you play this character, I mean, it's, does that bother you that people get that into your life? I guess. Um, you know, not not really, because I mean, I know what I what I'm into, and uh, you know, it doesn't really affect me what other people think about who I'm with or whether you know I'm gay or straight or whatever. I I am straight. I do have a boyfriend. I've been with him for five and a half years. And uh, women are beautiful and wonderful, but I've never been interested in women in that in that way. Um, I, well, I don't know that, why. It wasn't made that, that way. That being said, how, how was that, as an actress, um, going that route for, for Buffy? Was that something that you had an issue with, or did you were you okay with? Not an issue as if there's something wrong with it, but an issue trying to become that character. Um, you know, I knew Allie before I started working on Buffy, so, you know, when I had to, to kiss a girl, really it was kind of easy because I knew her and she was a friend, and it, it made it much easier. Um, it makes me nervous to kiss anybody on screen. I start going, oh, my God, do I look funny when I do it? Am I holding them the wrong way? Does my tongue look weird? Um, <laughs> so, so I'm nervous whether I kiss a boy or a girl, but because she was a friend, it made things much easier. Um, I, you know, I was just really blessed to be able to walk in Tara's shoes. I think 
Allison and I both were, were really honored that we got to sort of represent for the gay and lesbian community. Um, we were the first long-term lesbian relationship on national television, um, and it wasn't about two girls making out. It was about two people that were in love that just happened to be girls. And so for both of us, we were just honored that we got to do that. But isn't Joss, like, basically say, though, he did make the characters just so he can watch two girls making out? <laughs> um, <laughs> I know I know it didn't become that. I'm just saying, like, he, he has this kind of thing about that he's almost like he knows he's a guy, but at the same time he, he has that feminist quality to him, which he, and he balances. That's what I think is a nice balance with Buffy, you know. Yeah, well, I, I think he liked, he liked the fact that, you know, two girls that he was friends with that he, you know, had cast in his show, you know, were making out. I can't imagine there are too many uh, straight men out there that, that wouldn't enjoy that, and a lot of lesbians that wouldn't <laughs> Um, but I know that, like, a big part of why he created these, these characters to have this relationship is that he had um, two lesbian friends that he was sort of paying homage to with this relationship, two very good friends of his, of his and his wife, who, uh, you know, this was sort of a mash note to them. That's nice. All right, so yeah. uh, Joss comes back to television with Dollhouse. That was on Friday. Did you catch it? I didn't get a chance to see it, but I have it TV'd. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I watched it, too, and it's very interesting. And Amy Acker's back. She played Fred on Angel. Uh, has Josh ever contacted you to make an appearance into the dollhouse somehow? Um, no, you know, I haven't seen Joss in forever. I ran into him at Comic-Con like two years ago, so it's been a while. Um, but I, I think it's awesome that he's back on television. I think he kind of got a raw deal with Firefly. I think you Yeah, know, Firefly's it's, amazing, too. Such yeah, an amazing and, and, serenity. Yeah, and it just it just sucked that you know they didn't give it an opportunity to find an audience because the audience is there. The audience wants right. to see good television, and I just I think it was a shame. So I'm hoping and, uh, I'm hoping that Dollhouse gets that opportunity. I'm hoping too, but everybody complains that it's the Fox Network and they're the ones that kind of screwed up, uh, you know, Serenity <laughs> or Firefly to begin with. So we'll see. And it's following yeah. Terminator, which I really liked, which Adam was on, and he had that, that cameo. He uh, did. He was uh, Richard. He was Richard Schiff's uh, younger self, which was kind of cool. <laughs> it was really cool, and I was like, "Oh my God, it's Warren!" But you know, uh, it was great. He was really great in that, and I'm uh, glad to see him out there too. So, um, speaking of dolls, uh, do you have a Terra action figure? Oh, there's numerous Terra action figures, and I'm quite frightened as to what people do with them when they're t- taken out of the package. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Terry gets it on with the Willow doll. Terry gets it on with G.I. Joe and the Willow doll. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's a couple of different variants uh, of the doll. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're very – they're I, I like them. I think they're really cool. I mean, how often in your life do you get to go, you know, into a comic book store and go, look, there's a doll with me. Yeah, well, do you own them or no? Is that weird? Um, I, I You know, I – I made a film a few years back, and to finance the film, I actually uh, got Diamond to do a variant for me that was, you know, just for for me to sell for this film. And uh, so I still have probably about 400 of these dolls in storage. I sold, I sold, um, we sold a lot of them, and there's still more. So I I have a storage unit full of little me's, kind of frightening. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a Joss show that could go out of control. Yeah. All these little dolls attacking. So, all right, well, um, that's the Buffy stuff. I just needed to get that out of the way. Uh, But let me go back to some of your earlier stuff. Uh, King of the Hill was one of your first films you starred in, and it's also listed as one of your favorites. What was it like to work under uh, director Steven Soderbergh? 
Well, I mean, it was the first thing I did, really, and uh, it was just, I knew exactly who he was. I was 15, and I had seen Sex Lives and Videotape, and I knew exactly right. what I was walking into. I was just sort of in awe. I actually uh, remember sitting on the back of the, uh, the 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 van that would take you to and from the set, and I asked him, I said, uh, Steven Soderbergh, what makes a good director? And he looked at me, he's like, cast well. So that was the advice that I got from Steven Soderbergh on King of the Hill to be a good director, cast well. And I have I've taken that with me on my, my directing journey. But uh, it was an awesome experience. It was it really like it soured me for everything else because it was such a wonderful uh, experience and everybody was so professional and so great. I thought everything I would ever do would be like that, and I found since that you know a lot of times you uh, you sort of get jerked around in this business. So yeah, wow, that's amazing. So <laughs> do you want to do you have a uh, you might not want to say it. Do you have a, a worst experience that you've had in a film or show? Um, I'm trying to think, like, it's just, it's it's more along the lines that, you know, you're sort of treated like a piece of meat. You get stuffed yeah. in a little trailer somewhere. Nobody really, you know, they don't care. They don't give you the time to really prepare as an actor. They just kind of throw you into things. So, you know, sometimes I've been in situations where I'm, you know, on a set that isn't safe or, you know, it, you just, people are treated like people. And, uh, and it, they're rare when it's that bad, but a lot of times you're just, you're just a gun for hire. And this was like being part of a family. And then when Buffy came around, it was the same thing. So I was right. like, well, this is on par with my King of the Hill experience. Well, when you came on the Buffy, I mean, a lot of people were pissed off because, you know, Willow's supposed to be with Oz and you're coming along and everybody like, who's this girl? I mean, they had the same, Michelle Trachtenberg had to go through the same crap too, I'm sure. And, uh, how did you deal with that? Well, I remember being at a, at a charity event, and I walk into the bathroom, and I go into the stall, and while I'm in there, these two women come in, and I've since, I've since uh, met them both and, and had conversations with them, and they're very sweet, but they came in, and they were like, I don't know about this Amber Vince and this Tara thing. Well, I should be with Oz, and they're just going on and on and on. I'm like, do I get out of the stall? Do I stay in the stall? <laughs> what do I do? So finally, I just like, okay, well, I can't stay here all night. So I walk out, and, and they're just like, oh crap. <laughs> I'm like, I'm oh. sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take over for Oz. I'm very sorry. I thought I was gonna get to work with Seth too. I didn't know. <laughs> wow. So well, yeah. you know what? I want to I want to bring something up since Seth Green is in that story. I want to know about the deleted scenes in Can't Hardly Wait, because I read that uh, you're, well, I know you're in the movie, uh, but you were, it was edited down from R to PG-13, and most of your scenes were cut. But yeah. I, I love that film. I think Seth Green is hilarious in that film. Um, yeah. and there's, there's a part, and there's a party scene, and you're, you're sitting there, you're all trippy, you're like playing with a banana, and you have green eyes on your fingers. It's all weird. What, what was going on with that character? Uh, well, she was supposed to be on Herbal Ecstasy, and uh, which is why she's <laughs> During the banana, and uh, and all my stuff is with Seth, and you know he, through the night he goes and hits on all these different women, and I'm one of the girls he hits on, and at one point basically he's like humping my leg. I mean it's <laughs> I got Seth humping my leg. I'm holding a banana. I mean you can't get any weirder. Uh, it was it was sad that the stuff didn't make it into the film, but uh, it was a really great experience. And I just Seth is awesome. He is truly one of the funniest people I have ever met in my entire life, and it's so nice. Yeah, and he's got so much going on, like with the, uh, you know, the animation stuff, and he's just a really talented, funny guy, and he's been doing it. Wasn't it isn't it true? I think him and Sarah Michelle Gellar were both in the car, uh, commercial when they were really young. I think I, that's, I've heard I that. Think, 
I think so. I mean, I know they've both have been doing this since they were little tiny kids. If you watch Can't Buy Me Love, there's Seth Green. You know, he's a yeah. little tiny yes. brother. Yes. I was yep. just watching that. It's funny because I'll go back and I remember watching uh, – it was on one of the shows. And I, it's another guilty pleasure of mine. And, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's Seth Green is the kid, you know, the smart math little kid. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I wish they would have deleted scenes on the uh, Can't Hardly Wait DVD, but they don't. And uh, I would love to see that stuff. I hope they do a special edition or something because i got to see that. Yeah, <laughs> it was very funny. I had I had so much fun working with him. He's just such an awesome guy and, like, literally, like, <laughs> he'll try anything, like humping your leg. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so you wrote, directed, starred in Chance and Lovers, Liars, and Lunatics. Yep, uh, you got it right. Wow. <laughs> so out of all those jobs, what's your favorite, writing, directing, acting? Um, Gosh, well, I like writing because, especially prose, because I'm in control of the world and I can do it when I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> yeah. I am in control of the world and I am doing it in my pajamas. Um, yeah, you're God. I'm God. God, God is- Wearing pajamas, God in pajamas. But uh, but I love directing too. I was actually in Baton Rouge in June, uh, uh, co-directing a film with Adam. Actually, uh, we did this this little indie together uh, called Drones, and it was really an amazing experience. I just I love being on a film set. I love being kind of the boss of the film set. Uh, it's just it's a wonderful experience. You know, I, I, I it's like drugs. I just want to make movies. It's so much <laughs> fun. Well, I was going to bring up Adam and you co-directing. Uh, how was that co-directing? Did you guys fight over issues, or how did you how did you balance it out? Was it kind of like the Cohen brothers have like a thing going on yeah. with them? Yeah, well, we actually we actually cut the film together as well, and we we, we took a page out of the Cohen brothers. We uh, we we named ourselves. Uh, 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 we we created like a fake name for ourselves as, as editors. Um, they have Roderick Kane, we're Peter Lindo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but as far as directing goes, I basically dealt with the camera and the, the camera department, and Adam dealt with the actors. And it was really great because we shot the film in 14 days, and that is no time. I mean, that is like, uh, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. You, you can't make a movie in 14 days. It's just, it's so much work. And to have two people that people could come to and say, oh, I have a problem, can you help me with this? It just was, oh, it just saved us. If we hadn't done it together, I don't think it would have gotten done. Now, can you tell us about Thrones, what it's about? It's an office comedy with alien undertones. Alien as in <laughs> as in <laughs> alien. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I love it. <laughs> um, uh, some friends of ours wrote it. These guys, Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, they do a fake radio show out here in Los Angeles called the Thrilling Adventure and Supernatural Suspense Hour. And, uh, Adam was uh, talking to a friend who's a producer in Louisiana, and he's like, we have some money, we want to make a little film. And so we talked to Ben and Ben. They wrote a script in a week, and then, like, two weeks later, we're in Baton Rouge making the movie. It was crazy. Now, as directors, did you have any – you're friends with these guys. They're the writers, and I know how writers can be, and this is how it should be. Did you, did you take what they wrote and said, this is what we're going to do, or did you say, we'd like to change some of this? We kept basically everything that they had. Um, I, I, I think – the, the actors especially, because a lot of them do the this, this show in Los Angeles, this, this fake radio show, like Sam Levine is in it, and uh, Mark Evan Jackson, who's in the film, does the radio show, and Paula Tompkins does the radio show. So we have all these people that are friends with the writers and friends with us, and they were very much about, you know, 
taking care of and protecting the, the writers and the dialogue. These guys are incredible with dialogue. I mean, they're just, it's like taking a 30 screwball comedy, mixing in a little bit of the office and office space, and then adding mm-hmm. in like sci-fi, supernatural sort of alien component. It's really, it's unique. I haven't really seen it done like that before. Um, but we tried to be as, as prote- protective of the material as possible. Now, are you starring in drones as well? No, 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 no. I'm, I am not. I am behind the camera. Thank God. Uh, Angela Bettis actually took on the uh, the lead role. I don't know if you if you uh, remember her from May or from Girl Interrupted. She's incredibly yes. talented. She's wonderful. We were Is very, Adam, very. But Adam, Adam's in the film. I mean, the film Adam's in it, correct? Um, he has a little a little voice part in the film. Actually, Jonathan Woodward from Buffy and Firefly and Angel Fame is uh, is the lead in the film. Ah, that's yeah, awesome. he is. Yeah, so we have a, we have a Buffy component, we have a Freaks and Geeks component, and we have um, we have these these awesome writers with their incredible dialogue. So I'm I'm very proud of the film. Now, how much? I mean, I'm getting you made these. These are three films now, and. That's, that's, you must be super busy. Huh? And once again, thanks for calling in because I can't imagine how you have any time to do anything with all this work. But how much has been like has being being on Buffy helped you get these films made? I mean, has that been something that paved the way for these type things? Well, def- uh, definitely on a financial. It's funny you talk about like not having time. Like I'm literally I'm in my car on the phone with you in front of the uh, composer's house. I just was at a composing se- se- uh, session for drones, so I'm like I have to go, guys. I'm sitting in my car. I gotta make. I gotta do an interview. Um, <laughs> but Buffy financially uh, made it feasible for me to make some films. You know, I did I did three years on the show and and television. You make. You know, you actually make money on television. It's the only time mm-hmm. I've ever made any money in this business is being <laughs> on bus. Usually it's, you know, these little tiny indie movies that pay you a dollar. So I was yeah. able to... Hello? Are you there? All right. Yeah. No, you just cut out for a second. All right. <laughs> um, but basically, like, because of Buffy, I was able to sort of get a leg up and financially do Chance, which was the first film that I that I directed. And then uh, because of Buffy, I was able to do these these... Triangle Terra dolls that I was able to sell to raise the money for the second film. So Buffy has definitely been been a big part of how I, I got into the directing kind of side of the business. Somebody in our chat room is asking about a film called Shifter. Shifter. Yeah, Shifter. I just did a film called The Killing Jar with Michael Madsen and Harold Perrineau. Mm-hmm. And the guys that produce that are producing Shifter. And uh, uh, they're in the process. They're doing a comic book first, and then it's going to become a film. And it sounds really exciting. I'm really looking forward to uh, to getting it all together and actually actually working on it as an actor. Awesome. All right. Well, let's let's move on. I don't know how this came about, but tell me about Death's Daughter and how now you're. Um, well, I know how it came about because you did co-write the other book, but now you're doing this is your first uh, solo novel, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And tell me about Death's Daughter. Basically what happened is Chris Golden, um, who is a novelist um, in his own right and also does some, some uh, Buffy writing, he's done some comics, some Buffy comics and some Buffy novels, he approached me about writing uh, Willow and Tara comic together. And so we did three of those, uh, with one with Terry Moore that was just, it was awesome. It's a beautiful comic. I'm really proud of it. And then because of that, the BBC contacted us and to see if we would do an animated show for them. So we did this thing called Ghost of Albion, which is an animated series for the BBC I, which is their Internet component. 
Hello? Yeah. All right. You're, you're back. <laughs> um, so we did this, this Ghost of Albion thing, and then Random House uh, asked us to novelize that universe. So we did two novels for Random House, and so that's how I got into prose, is because of, because of Buffy, once again. <laughs> and uh, and and then I had an idea for Death's Daughter, and uh, I took it out, and Ginger Buchanan over at Ace, who is Charlene Harris's editor, does the True Blood books, um, just loved it and said, why don't you do three books? So it's a three-book deal. I'm writing the third one as, as, we, as we speak, and uh, it's, uh, it's been crazy. <laughs> I don't know how it's time. I don't have time. I think there's five of me out there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> is this something, though, that you just you, – you, do you want a break, or do you always have to be working? I always have to be working. I get bored. All right. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's ha you're happy being this crazy busy. Yeah, I am. If I, was, if I just was sitting around waiting for someone to make a phone call for me to be in some movie or some TV thing, like I think I'd shoot myself. I really like, I like <laughs> as occupied as possible. So I decided I'm going to make a movie. I'm going to write a couple of books. I wrote a kid's book that I just sold. So, like, I'm like... I'm doing acting in the interim, keeping up my health insurance, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did you come? How did you come up with uh, the idea? You there? Yeah, yeah, there you are. Um, All right. How did you come up with the idea for Death's Daughter? Well, basically, I I I love literature and I love mythology, and I always saw these these male char characters going on these sort of hero quests like Star Wars, you know, kind yeah, of... Yeah, it's, it's uh, the hero's journey like uh, Joseph Campbell talks about. Exactly. Yep, Joseph yeah. Campbell, Heroes of a Thousand Faces. Like, and you always yep. see men doing this. So I'm like, well, wouldn't it be cool to have a woman go on like this hero quest? And so that sort of was the impetus. And I really wanted to mix religion and mythology because those are things that I'm very interested in and, and have been interested in since I was a kid. And I'm like, well, there are all these, these, these religious and mythological components that, 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 you know, are similar, and then there are differences, but what if I created a world where they all kind of coexisted? And that's sort of how Death's Daughter came into being. Now, I, I know you seem to be, like, uh, always on Twitter, and one of your Twitter things was uh, that you read Twilight and you kind of were, you weren't into the damsel in distress type thing. And I'm guessing that this Death's Daughter is more, if she's the very powerful heroic female and not like this character in Twi in twilight well she's she's also she's very flawed um this callie is her name calliope reaper jones which i i, I don't know where the hell that came from um, <laughs> but uh she's very flawed and she doesn't really want to go on this quest if you read if you read mythology you know mythology and literature you, the hero is always it's, the, uh, it's called the refusal of the call that's right. So she has this whole yep. thing where she doesn't want to be part of the supernatural world. She does, death is run like a corporation. Her dad is the president and CEO. He gets kidnapped, and she has to come in and kind of run the company and go on this this hero quest in order to like take off. Oh, you I lost you again. <laughs> I hear um, you. To uh, to she had to go on this quest so she could become the next death in, in case her father doesn't come back, so that her family can retain their immortality. And so she's thrust into this world that she doesn't want any part of. She just wants to be a normal girl. She works in, in like, she works for, for, like, a company that makes the products for, like, the Home Shopping Network. She just wants to be normal. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so that, that was sort of, you know, the impetus to, to, like, make her flawed. I really wanted her to, to be a real person and to make stupid mistakes sometimes and to not be on top of everything all the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's perfect. Sounds sounds fascinating. Plus, I'm like I'm really into all that um, 
Joseph Campbell and all the Heroes Journey type things. So I'd love to. Um, February twenty fourth, it comes out. Is that correct? Yeah, February twenty fourth. I think I think some of the sometimes some places it won't be available until March third. I guess there's some weird drop thing where it comes wow. out, but it actually isn't out until the third in some places. So. Yeah, but, I'm looking uh, forward to reading it. it. Sounds pretty fun. Yeah, I hope you enjoy it. I had a really fun time writing it, so I hope that it translates. It's kooky. It's a kooky book. <laughs> oh, we're all kooky, so I'm sure uh, I'll enjoy it. But now, what happens after three books if this really takes off? Or do you think that? Um, I guess you don't want to give away the ending, but could it continue? Yeah, it, it could continue. Um, when when Ginger, you know, wanted to buy the book, she said, "I want you to do three of them," and I was like, "Well, crap." I really just have the one sort of outlined crap. And then I was like, well, I love Dante's Divine Comedy. I like the idea of like three component pieces. That's my new favorite word apparently. I keep saying it, component. I don't know where that (laughs) – read it somewhere recently. Um, So the first book deals with hell. The second book deals with purgatory. And the third book book is uh, is heaven. So that's Ah. sort of – homage to Dante. Not that that I have any – I should deign to even – put it in the same, you know, world as Dante's books. But, you know, I was sort of making a little mash note to Dante with, with my books. Now, every time I think of Dante's Inferno, I think about the scene in Seven where Brad Pitt's trying to read that the book. Oh. He just gets really pissed off. Uh, it just makes me laugh every time. I love that movie so much. I, anything with, like, serial killers and forensic stuff, it's terrible. I, I read all that crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have uh, our guest next week is Jonas Ball, and he played um, Mark David Chapman in The Killing of John Lennon, so I really want to get into his head about how, how it was to play someone like that, kill someone like John Lennon, you know? I always wonder about being an actor. Have you ever played a role that was, like, uh, kind of scary to get into the head of? You know, I did, I did something called The Inside, an episode of this TV show that Ken Minear was, was the, the, you know, the uh, executive producer of. And I played this really vicious kind of crazy girl, um, and I, I I had a ball. It was really fun. She was really nasty, <laughs> kind of crazy. <laughs> and then I just I did an episode of Private Practice recently, where I've never had this happen before. But the character was going through a lot of very intense emotional things, or she's very angry. And I found that like I was clenching my jaw, and I would go home, and my jaw would just ache from all this anger that was inside of me from this this character and she you know wasn't a bad person something bad had happened to her so i'm like god i can't imagine if i'm like you know channeling for three months some serial killer it could get really intense yeah yeah i could imagine that's pretty messed up i mean i don't yeah. a lot of people say that heath ledger got all screwed up because he was doing the joker and getting into the head of i don't know if that happened but i'm just saying and he was pretty intense i guess in his research yeah. Yeah. Um, i i mean the, you have to you have to walk a fine line between like becoming a character or, 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 you know, like not, you know, like keeping yourself out of it so that you don't, you don't become so involved that you lose yourself. Mm-hmm. I think some actors, you know, they're like, well, this guy's a drug addict. I should try heroin. They're like, well, you yeah. know, I don't need to try heroin to know because <laughs> it's addiction you're dealing with yeah. here. I don't need to do That's it. Right. There are things that I am addicted to that like are, you know, I cannot be without coffee, and that horrible feeling of a headache, like if I intensify that a thousand times, maybe I can kind of, but like I can figure it out. I don't need to do it. Do you know what I mean? Well, there's, there's a story where Roger Corman actually uh, had, to, he tried acid because he was making a film and had to, had to do acid. He, they all convinced him of it, and he, did, he didn't want to do it, but he did. And uh, 
I don't know. I guess some people think that's the way to find out. I don't know. There's a, like, there's a, there's a great story of, of Dustin Hoffman in, in uh, was it The Running Man with uh, Laurence Olivier, and he's supposed to be like all, he'd been up all, the character had been up all night, and he just was a mess, and so Dustin Hoffman was like up all night and was running around and freaking out, and, and Laurence Olivier was like, why did you do it? You know, it's, it's called acting for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, you know? Yeah. <sighs> All right, well, we're, we're almost out of time. I just want to ask you, what is your favorite Jeff Buckley song? Oh, gosh. Do you have I, one? I, I fell in love with him via Hallelujah, but that's the Leonard Cohen song. Yeah. Um, I actually I, like his version better than Leonard Cohen's, honestly. I, I do, too. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, the, uh, some of the stuff on, on uh, My Sweetheart the Drunk um, – there's some really cool, like, um, like almost demo-y kind of stuff. Uh, there's one, I forget the name of the song, but it's like, Your Flesh is So Nice. It's, like, really crazy, weird little song, and I just, I really like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I like uh, Lover You Should Come Over. It's, like, one of my favorites. Oh, it's a beautiful, it's an amazing like, song. It's oh, kind of weird, though, that then his mom put out the second album, and it's, like, you know. Unfinished. Yeah, I, I, she put it out, but it was like my son the drunk, right? That's or something. Yeah, like, whatever. Yeah. It's just the a song, weird title. I just always thought that was weird. His mom, I don't know, if she called it that, but it, such a sad story. I can't imagine what he would have came up with if he would have stayed, uh, if he would still be alive. I know. I think he was just haunted by by his father's death. I mean, I think a lot of people, when, or, you know, some people, when, when something tragic has happened in their past, they, like, they hold on. It's like, I'm going to die at the same time as my dad. I, you know, I'm you not think it's like, So you're saying you think it might be like a self-fulfilling prophecy that he had? Yeah, I do, I do think. Some people, some people live in this world where, where fate dictates everything and they let fate sort of guide them. I don't know. I mean, it's an odd thing to walk into the water and, uh, and not come back out again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, if you go in there drunk, there's a good chance you might not. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> okay, so I blame the alcohol. It's all the alcohol. So, all right. Well, you were just in New York uh, for the Comic-Con. Do you have any plans of coming back to the East Coast? Um, I, I, I would love to live in New York someday. Um, I'm working towards that. That is, that is my next big thing, get myself to, to the beautiful, beautiful island of Manhattan. Um, uh, n- nothing, nothing in the in the next few months. I'm going to be doing a big signing tour around uh, Los Angeles. I mean, uh, around California. I'm going to be in LA and then San Diego and San Francisco in March. So that's going to take over a big a big chunk of of the next few months. So do you ultimately like uh, if if writing took off and that's what, what would that be what you would want to do or do you want to do everything still? You still always want to be director or actor, you know, and and writer. Yeah, I think I'd still do everything. I think I think you can. I think you can do anything you want to do. Anything you set your mind to, you can do. You you know, maybe you don't have success in all of it, but some of it you will have success in. You know? Yeah, well, you seem to be doing well in all of it. And uh, I really appreciate you calling in. It's been fantastic talking to you. It's very you, exciting for me because I just – the Buffy thing has been big for me, and I'm trying to get as many Buffy people from the show alums to get on and talk to them. So thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. You'll have to get Adam and his band uh, Common Rotation to uh, play some music for you on the show. Yeah, well, uh, tell him to go to This Is Some Scene, and he can contact you. Right. I will. I'll have him so. contact I think you'll dig it. All right. 
<laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. I so much appreciate you calling in and giving us the time. And um, I'll see you on uh, Facebook. I, I'll see you on Facebook too and uh, Twitter as well. <laughs> okay. Take care. All right. You Good too. Night. Good night.